Hi, everybody. Welcome to another version of the Bruce Singer Podcast. I'm pleased you're joining me. And uh, I want to talk about the podcast first. This podcast is about is about inspiration, about storytelling, about content. There's no selling on this podcast. There's never any selling. Uh, and also, we're very focused on food, food and beverage, naturals, organics, the food right across the food value chain, which is which is our passion. And so that's that's the nature of this podcast. And we got a great guest today who I'll tell you a bit about in a moment. Um, again, I'm Bruce Singer. I'm the host of this podcast. I'm also the CEO and founder of Canada CFOs, which provides fractional CFOs to uh, emerging companies, again, in the food space, the beverage space, naturals, organics, and right across the food value chain. So I'm very excited to have today, uh, you probably know this company, most people in this space too, uh, Ali Mama Leader, of, uh, she's the president of, uh, of Organic Traditions. Welcome to the podcast. Finally, Thank you for having me. It's yeah. awesome. It's awesome to have you. So I'm going to talk about Ali, Ali, Ali first before we begin at some of the details. Again, she's the president of uh, of Organic Traditions. Um, she's also she's also been featured and been on TV and many media to talk about her her entrepreneurial journey and about Organic Traditions. She's really quite 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 the entrepreneur. And uh, in addition. While she, under her tenure as president, the company has grown to us a, a five figure, five figure, right? Five eight figures. Eight figures. Sorry, eight, figure. eight figure. <laughs> we got to get to nine figures. My numbers. I'm a numbers guy, and I forgot my numbers. Okay, I forgot the zeros. It's grown to an eight figure business, which is which is tremendous. They're growing like crazy. Their products are super high quality. And by the way, I'm a huge fan. I'm a consumer of their products, even better. And I I have them right on my desk every day in my smoothies and my pancakes. I just want you to know that, that we love that. But I think I just think the product is 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 really the super high super supply is just quality and and it's total total healthy and I really appreciate it as a as a consumer as well. So that's why I had you on. It's okay. So that's thank you. Fun. Thanks for the positive feedback. We love awesome. that. Awesome. So before we get into some some of the things I want to talk about, can you tell can you tell the audience tell us about organic traditions? Absolutely. So organic traditions is a superfood company. Our mission is really to empower people to use superfoods in their everyday life. We are all about bringing the, you know, ancient healing traditions of cultures around the world. This is, you know, our name is Organic Traditions. And it's like, well, why? We take the best of Ayurvedic medicine, you know, Peruvian cacao ceremony, Japanese matcha traditions, and we kind of meld and bring all of these different traditional cultural, you know, wisdom and make it something that's easy for consumers to use on a daily basis. So we're all about simplicity. We're all about delivering the highest quality. And we have over 100 different products. We've been in market for over 20 years. Uh, We're constantly changing and evolving our offering. And so, yeah, really in, in the Canadian landscape, we're really the go-to superfoods brand, we like to say, um, available also in the U.S. and in some other countries around the world. And yeah, we're really just all about finding ways where consumers can have that superfood moment on a daily basis and find ways that make it easier for them to incorporate this into their daily life. That's phenomenal. Well, you're doing a wonderful job. Wonderful job. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Okay, so let's get back. Would love to hear your your story, like your president. There, there's a journey here. 
that took place. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you know, nobody gets into an eight-figure business. <laughs> uh, so I'd love to hear. Where can we start? Right? The early days. As far yeah. as we want to go, like we'll be going back to school, the school days. and uh, We'll yeah. go all the way back because sure. this is a unique, I guess, story. You know, I'm president today, but I'm also second generation founder. Yeah. So I certainly can't take all the credit for building this business, um, but have, you know, played a huge part in it in the more recent years. But really goes back to as early as I can remember in my childhood. I actually grew up going to trade shows, going to CHFA, going to the mm. yoga show, the women's show, weekend markets, whatever the case may be. My dad was an entrepreneur through and through, and he started this business over 20 years ago. And when he started Organic Traditions, he was also importing and distributing other natural health products at the time, so other brands. Anything that he was super passionate about and used himself that had a positive impact on his life, he would, you know, um, negotiate a distributorship agreement and he would bring them into Canada. So New Chapter Vitamins, for example, which was later sold to Procter & Gamble or Garden of Life that was later sold to Unilever. Uh, Pucka Tea also later sold to Unilever. So he had a way of finding these niche products, really building them up in the Canadian market. And what he was noticing was the better he did with that, the more likely they were to sell and have them take over their own distribution. That's the way it goes. And so he realized at the time that he really wanted to have his own brand that he could build and maintain. And he was so passionate about the supply chain and meeting the farmers and really just having a positive impact on people like on a consumer by consumer level. And so he continued to do the distribution business, but started building organic traditions. And I witnessed that for most of my life in the background at trade shows all throughout the time. But I went you know, to university, I studied international relations, I actually did my master's degree in Denmark. And then when I came back, I further pursued corporate communications and public relations. And I ended up working for Fairmont Hotels and Resorts corporate headquarters that were um, based in Toronto, in corporate communications. And I loved it. An amazing company to work for where you learn so many great things about culture, just a really, really good learning opportunity and a great opportunity to see how a company with like 50,000 employees really operates and organizes itself. So that was good exposure for me. And going into that job and other jobs that I'd done, I always knew in the back of my mind, I'm going to end up leading organic traditions. I am an entrepreneur. But I wanted to have outside experience first. I wanted to be able to bring value to the company. I think, I mean, it's not a mistake, but I think the experience of a lot of family owned and operated businesses is like the kids come in or other family members come in and maybe they haven't really had a lot of exposure to other businesses. And so they just do things the way they've always been done, whether that's for, you know, good or bad. Um, And they don't have as much value to add. And for me, if I was going to come, I I really wanted to feel like I had it being validated that I had had some external experience, even if it wasn't, you know, 20 years that I've seen how things can be done in a well-organized company that has great culture and great values. And what does that mean for people? 
So in 2017, after working at Fairmont for almost six years, I finally said, okay, I'm ready to work in the family business. I really didn't take the decision lightly because I think once you go into a family owned and operated company, you don't come out again. And I wanted to be ready. I wanted the time to be right. So I joined in 2017. And really from day one, I sat down with every single team member and said, like, what's going well? What's not going well? Like, what are we going to change? I knew that my dad was a brilliant entrepreneur, but he's also the type that I think, you know, was challenged in scaling things and trusting people and building teams around him. He was very much like a solopreneur. And I had seen the power of having like really well organized teams come in place and like how ideas and projects could be completed. And so from 2017, I just started literally had whiteboards, full walls of like all the things we needed to change and do. And since then, I've really been working on building the company from the inside out and just kind of been learning everything while I do it. You know, I didn't go to business school. But I've just been figuring all of that out as we go. And the biggest learning coming into the past year has been I finally I I moved from survival mode of trying to make the best of all of our opportunities and the potential the company has to going through COVID and making sure that the company maintains itself through that, having two children in the process at that time as well. And getting to the point of being like, okay, we need a really strong leadership team in place. I don't need to be the smartest person in the room. I just need to set the vision. I mean, not just, but I need to set the vision, bring the right people in who are, you know, experts in what they do and take this company to the next level. And so it's really been a journey for me of, you know, learning outside of the organization, but since childhood, seeing it, seeing the brand come together and being a part of that behind the scenes to kind of stepping into this more formal leadership role and then learning the entrepreneurial lessons I had to learn over the past almost seven years here as I go and to get to this point as well. Interesting. So what are, so you you had all these learnings. Let's expand on that. Uh, let's go deeper into some of these key learnings because people are going to watch us. They're going to say, geez, I'd love to scale a business to it. I'd love to scale to an eight figure, an eight figure business, you know, but I'm frustrated. I got my frustrations, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, people feel stuck. And, and we got, what would you, so you talked about one thing, which is the leadership moving from more of a, a, a call from, um, from a, a, an entrepreneur to, to a CEO mentality that's really what yes more of of an operator professional manager um and that's hard that's hard for someone who's maybe that's good you 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 went to fairmont and did something else because you know because you it's hard to let go of that innovative creativity as an entrepreneur but but i want to so what are some of the key things that let's talk about the the last the last little while what are some of the key things some of the changes if you can share that you did make that you would advise other people and then we'll talk about what is the future what's going on in the future yeah, something I'm, we even talked a bit offline about this, um, just being that you're in finance is finance is really underrated in a company. The power of finance, the business intelligence that comes out of finance, especially in a manufacturing business, like so much of our cost is wrapped up in our manufacturing and finance does all the reporting for that and really partners with operations on, you know, where is our 
labor costs, how are we performing? What's our capacity? All of these things, it's it's taking off the blinders that a founder or an entrepreneur has and acting like the CEO and being willing to look at the parts of your business that you probably don't like looking at. Like, I'm not a numbers person. I'm not a finance person. And I've had to learn to be and you, and you shouldn't loving be. the numbers. Yeah, shouldn't I shouldn't to have to be. Because you got to focus on, you can't be, you can't, it's impossible to be everything, an expert in everything. That's a formula, totally. for, that's a formula for failure. Exactly. Uh, so bringing yeah. in the right finance leader um, more recently who could really be a business partner and break things down in a simple um, way that, you know, it really helps move the entire business forward, that every leader on the leadership team feels empowered by that financial information that we're tracking everything so tightly. For me, that's been one of the most meaningful changes I've made in the entire business is just like the way that we're reporting now, the conversations we're having, because you can be, you know, feeling good doing everything right on like the sales and marketing side and the side that everybody sees, but it's the other stuff that'll keep you up at night. I mean, at least for me personally. And so having a handle on that and getting the right person in place uh, you can't overlook finance. It's not as sexy as everything else, but you just can't overlook it. So for you, it's been almost a game changer. A hundred percent. It has been. Awesome. Yeah. And by the way, everybody, there's no plug here of Canada CFOs. No, not scale. This was not, this is not a promotion or sales pitch for me, for my company. This is not the case. This is how, no, but that's really been Allie's my experience. experience. Her experience. Yeah. yeah. I want to share that. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So, okay. So, so that's pretty good. So we're looking now at the at the let's look at the current landscape of of food, natural food, organics. I call it regulatory risk, economic risk, uh, the economy. There's a lot going on. You know, we got to feed a lot of people. There's food hunger. There, there's a whole slew of I call them almost like um, a perfect storm coming together as we evolve in the entire food industry. So, what is your thoughts on how is what is the landscape? What are you thinking about the landscape for the future? Economic, whatever, whatever thing to help grow. Um, there's there's obviously uh, obstacles that come up. How do you how do you deal with them? What, what advice would you have? What, what are your thoughts? How are you? It's a I, I know it's a loaded question, but I'd love to. I love yeah. to your insights. Your insights. Yeah. So I think that in the current climate of like building a brand or scaling a business, probably in any industry, but especially in food right now. Um, you really need to ruthlessly prioritize. And it's not something I was good at before, but it's something I think I'm getting good at now. So ruthlessly prioritizing even what customers we're working with, what brokers we're working with, what retailers we're wanting to prioritize, you know, over others. Uh, it's really going deep with the customers you have before you go wide anywhere you can go. Yes, of course, we have growth plans and we want to keep scaling and you want world domination. And you want all these things. Entrepreneurs and founders are like that. And they want like our eyes are very big. We think that like our brand is great and it should be everywhere. And that may be true. But, you know, sustainable growth is probably always going to be the path that gets you there the fastest versus like blowing up any one area. So something that I've come to realize, you know, from, you know, consuming a lot of different resources, conversations I have internally, and just through going 
through this journey is that going really deep with the customers you have, with the relationships you have, with the opportunities that are on the table is going to move the needle a lot faster than spreading yourself too thin. So especially with today's costs, with how scrappy companies need to be, with how competitive it is, you know, consumer attention is harder to get. It's harder Mm -hmm. to get the dollars from the consumer. It's, you know, leverage what you have and be scrappy and put that ruthless prioritization into play versus the founder's mentality of like world domination. Well, Well, that's the top line thinking, right? That's the, yes. I call, I'm a finance guy. I think, well, I, I've, I've thought about world domination. I've been also an entrepreneur, um, but that's the, that's a really good point. I love you said, be scrappy. I love that. That's a good takeaway. Be scrappy. That's a, I like we described that. That's awesome. Being that's scrappy. Awesome. Like even we're going back to being scrappy and just prioritizing things a little bit differently, just with the, you know, the state of the economy and wanting to continue our business to grow, but doing so responsibly, like trade shows. Of course we want to be there. Of course we want to connect with everyone, but do we need to spend $50,000 on the most fancy booth? Is that really going to change the situation? Not really. It's about having the quality product and fostering those connections. So being scrappy in ways that, you know, I think a lot of brands have burned through a lot of cash on these things and, yeah. us included in the past oh, we're yeah. really ruthlessly prioritizing that as well now and i that's think that amazing. that's what's going to sustain us through this time that so many people feel is absolutely uncertain it is and unfortunately i think a lot of companies will burn more cash as we get to 2024 you brought up something i want to ask you i want to ask you something i want to ask you a question because you mentioned something as we were talking about um I just want to, what I, this is some of the experience I just experienced. I want your thoughts on this. Um, Bruce, Canada, man, it's just the volume's not here. We've got to go to the U.S. right now. And I've seen companies where, where uh, maybe their backyard, where backyard isn't solid. So right away they say, well, Canada's a problem. Or, or, and they start jumping and some, and this is a very deep conversation. Can you give some insights? Cause you are, you are in the U.S. or have expanded, or, or, or I'd love to just know your thoughts on when's the right time to U.S., go to U.S., what do you need to know? I don't, it's not as simple as just jump, jumping in, you know what I mean? You got to do the homework. I'd love to, yeah. hear, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on U.S. expansion, if you don't well, mind. Well, I think, yeah, uh, a lot of brands, and our, us included, have a lot easier time breaking into the U.S. when you have data to support it. So if you're a Canadian brand or a brand from another country, it goes back to the, you know, going deep before you go wide, like, why not build a data story? Why not build that consumer trust and be able to take that and show it to American retailers, um, you know, um, US consumers online, you need to have, I, I mean, I think to have the growth trajectory you're looking for in the US, you're not just just because the population is huge doesn't mean that your product is going to move automatically so you've got to have some fact-based selling points that you can bring into the conversation yeah and and even because you know our industry has changed a lot it used to be that like a health food store the natural channel would just kind of list anything but even they're becoming more you know, focused and prioritize themselves. So that fact-based selling is really important. You want to be able to arm your salespeople, yourself, your brokers with those data points that they can go in and sell with. 
Um, and you want to also build your brand online to help support that and help make that noise around it. But in terms of like, when's the right time, again, ruthlessly prioritize be scrappy and like, assess, like the listing fees in the US are huge. What kind of importation like is your infrastructure there? Or do you just have big eyes for the US? And for us, I would say even we manufacture product in a second facility in Buffalo. Um, and that facility existed before my time. If it's a decision I was making today, even just from a cost saving standpoint, a learning has been that, you know, it may have made more sense to ramp up our capacity in our Canadian facility instead and work with a 3PL there. You know, we have the infrastructure there now and we're working through what makes sense. But it's like, you know, holding back on those desires and not having those big eyes. I think you really want to prove a strong data store and get that consumer base going before you just jump into selling in the U.S. You know, this this has been very this is I love this has been I got to love I love the being scrappy. I I love, I love it. That's that sounds like um, I get the impression it's also embedded now in the culture because you mentioned culturally or like that kind of thinking because that's another way to scale a business. Is culture is so important and. Uh, and, yeah, yeah. Co- cohesion, culture, like-minded thinking, building a team. These are much deeper conversations. You want to say something? Totally. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, it's just that, you know, I was handling kind of all HR matters for the last couple yeah. of years. And recently I hired someone for people and culture to really lead that area of the business yeah. because we're never going to hit all of our goals and our targets if people aren't motivated the right people aren't in the right role and people don't share our values so we really hire for values now we have everyone rowing in the right direction but it's a journey to get to that point where I, you know i made that hire but it's it's like night and day when everyone's aligned in that way and so you you kind of always see that as like a part of the business that's like ugh, hr but people are everything your team is everything so everything, they're everything and you know what? We're going to end the podcast very shortly. I just want to share when I was at the uh, CHFA. Well, I've been at multiple shows over the years, and and I always come to your booth. And it's a pleasure. I saw you finally this time. I think last the last time you were having the baby. I think. I think. It, yeah. It was great that shame. week. That week. <laughs> but you got the most passionate group there, and it just just coming in there. Come, we'll give you all the samples. <laughs> yeah. Here's the greens. Here's the set. It was just fun. And uh, I just want to share that it was an awesome. It's just the, that and just the experience alone makes me makes me be a loyal customer, you know. Well, uh, yeah. Because I had there's a lot of passion being shown, and I think that's I think that's awesome. Which you here have the pancakes here, <laughs> you know. Because they believe in they believe in they it believe, and they believe, they believe in the vision. In the yeah. vision, they believe in the product. They believe. Anyways, Ali, this has been awesome. We're coming to an end of the podcast. Before we officially end, is there any last? Um, last piece of words that you'd like to share that perhaps I didn't bring up that you'd like to just share with the audience? I I guess one thing, just yeah. one thing that I'll leave with that we didn't talk about, and that's more just based on like the industry in general, is that there's a huge shift to greenwashing on labels. And as a brand, we really prioritize like the right messaging to our consumers that they understand what they're getting and it's not just like a sprinkle of this adaptogen or that and so I'd say for anyone that's building a brand you can't 
undervalue the feedback of your consumers. Like even you told me like, oh, I, I like this, but I wouldn't want it with Stevia. And so it's like, <laughs> don't do the yeah. greenwashing where you're like, it has this. And it's like literally 1% of the formula. Listen to your consumers, implement That's their true, feedback. Yeah. That's, so That's true, been yeah. a huge game changer for yeah. us. And we didn't really talk about that, but we really, you know, highly prioritize what people have to say and want to keep those diehard organic traditions fans happy. And so That's I think anyone building a brand, like really just like tightening up that feedback loop from your consumers has really been a key, a key game changer for us. That's incredible. And that is not easy to do. Uh, so that's a whole other podcast. How do you, how do you get that? That is a, yeah, that's a much deeper conversation because like people have, you know, the resources to do it, the skills that that is. Ali, thank you so much for coming on. This has been very inspiring and I love it. I love everything you're doing and I wish you much success and uh, going forward to you and everybody in the team. And I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. This thank great. you, Bruce. Thanks for having me. It's always Very fun insightful. talking to you. Take care, everybody. <laughs> thank you. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.